Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. praying this morning uh, at the end I was just reminded of this proverb that says um, it says something like the, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy or you know trusted are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy blah 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 something like that you can look it up <laughs> um, the word that I'm bringing this morning is not an easy word it's not a fluffy word. It's, it's not a word that um, is easy to hear. And so I just wanted to say at the beginning, I am coming to you guys as a friend. I'm, coming, I'm bringing myself before the Lord, and I'm coming to you as a friend. I feel like what that Proverbs is saying is the wounds of a friend can be trusted. It means that the wound, when a friend wounds you, I feel like it's talking about when a friend speaks the truth to you in love. And it... <sighs> It just kind of hurts a little bit, you know? It, like, hurts so good. And so I just want to say, if I wound you this morning, if I, if I poke my finger in a spot that <clears throat> I, I'm doing it because I love you and I'm doing it as a friend, and I want to ask you to, to press in and not to back off. Um, better is the truth spoken to you in love than an enemy kissing your butt. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I feel like that's saying. It's like, then someone who doesn't love you just giving you lip service and telling you what you want to hear. And that's not what I'm going to do this morning. So we're going to jump in, and I'm asking you to go with me, and I'm asking you to trust the Lord and, and trust me that um, as I say things that maybe aren't easy to hear or feel a little, ouch, um, that you would keep your heart open and not wall off and not uh, move away, okay? All right. Here we go. (laughs) So God has given us beauty as a gift, and he's given us that gift. I feel like all the gifts God gives us uh, are gifts that we're supposed to steward, just like we steward money, We steward time. We steward all the gifts God's given us. We're supposed to live in the perspective of those things being gifts from the Lord um, that he's given us and not things that we we use um, for ourselves. So sometimes we take this gift that God's given us and instead of stewarding it and using it for his glory, we use it for selfish gain. We use it to control. We use it to manipulate manipulate people, manipulate situations. And I think that all of you can say you've experienced that there can be a power to beauty, and it's something that you kind of can wield to get your way at times or to control or manipulate. So sometimes when we do that, when we use beauty um, instead of steward it, we make ashes out of our beauty. There's also... Um, times that other people use us or abuse us. And when that happens, they make ashes of our beauty. 
This doesn't just happen today in our lives, but it also happened all the way through the Bible. And so that's what we're going to take a look at. We're going to take a little journey. I found some characters and some women that experienced different things through beauty and did different things with beauty. And I want to take a look at their lives and I want to look at how, what that means for us and what we can learn from them. So we're going to go ahead and start with, I gave them all like these little names. So we're going to start with the deceived. And the deceived is, can you guess, Eve. We already talked about her last night. How she had, uh, she had so much that we long for, right? Just open, wide relationship with God, the presence of God, naked without shame, like just working it, naked. You know, how many of you guys feel that free? Just freedom, and and everything was created perfectly and provided for her, and there was so much to enjoy. But then the sneaky devil crept in and whispered lies to her, um, lied to her about God's motivation towards her, and caused her to lust after this piece of fruit that she thought could provide something for her that God was keeping from her. And she went after the fruit instead of God, and she blew past the boundaries that God had set up for her, right? And these boundaries that he had set up for her um, and Adam, were they were loving boundaries. And I was just kind of struck afresh looking at this story and thinking about how, how we do this, how we exchange, you know, an apple for God, um, but really how we believe the lies of the enemy about what God's motivations are towards us. Um, that he would keep something from us that's actually really good, that we should have, and how we blow past the boundaries that he set up for us in our lives. Um, I can understand this, you know, now more than ever. Um, how, many, how many of your parents told you, like, you just won't understand until you're a parent? <laughs> My parents told me this. Um, and, and it's true. Um, Never before have I understood like I do now, raising five daughters, that the boundaries I've put up in their lives are because I care and because I love them and because I want what is good for them and what is right. And I want to protect them from all the pain and all the yuck. And this is how, why God has set up boundaries in our lives too. But we have looked at those boundaries and thought, you're just holding me back or you're ruining my fun or... You don't want me to experience this or that. And we, we blow past those lines over and over again that God's put in place for our love and for our protection because he cares and he loves and he is wanting to put those boundaries around our lives to keep us safe. And we blow past those things and a whole lot of pain ensues and consequence and Things we end up walking out, our hearts get torn, and all kinds of junk comes about because we blow past those boundaries. So that's the first one, the deceived, okay? Moving into Genesis 12, we're looking at a liar and a manipulator. And this is the story of Sarah and Abraham. Sarah was very beautiful. And Sarah and Abraham were going into the land of Egypt, and um, Abraham's just thought to himself and said out loud to her, 
because she was so beautiful that the Egyptians would find out that she was his wife and they would want her, and so they would kill him. And so they decided, in order to not have that happen, uh, that they would lie. And so Abraham told the Egyptians and Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister, she was really his wife, and let Pharaoh take his wife as his own wife to save his butt. I said butt again. That was the second time, wasn't it? It's awesome. Travis would be proud of me. Uh and so, and so they lie, and they manipulate the situation. They try to um, find favor, like, on their own. And, um, and, and we do that, too, don't we? We use beauty to manipulate situations in order to get what we want. We uh, bat the eyelashes and use other things, like sometimes even our bodies, with our husbands, maybe even withholding them. Is this making sense to get something that we want? We manipulate situations. Instead of um, having a desire for something that we want and just trusting God that I don't have to work this. I don't have to lie. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to make this look like something it's not. I don't have to walk in fear. But I can walk confidently into Egypt with my beautiful wife and trust that God is big enough, more powerful than Pharaoh, and anything else that's going to come against us. But instead of trusting God and instead of resting in that and allowing him to flesh out the circumstances, a lot of times we get our hands in there And we try to control and manipulate and make something happen. The next story is, um, it's called The Violated. And it's about Tamar. It's out of 2 Samuel 13. And Tamar, again, was a very beautiful woman. And her stepbrother thought she was really beautiful. And fell in love with her. And lusted after her until the point that he couldn't take it anymore. And so he invited her in to care for him because he was sick. It was false pretenses. He set a trap for her, invited her in under false pretenses um, to care for him, and then ended up violating her, taking advantage of the situation, um, taking advantage that they were alone, and ended up raping her. And this has happened to some of you in this room. Some of you have been raped. Some of you have been sexually abused or violated. Some of you have been, maybe not the full extent of that, but you have been tricked or baited or you have been called into a situation that's not safe under false pretense, maybe even um, by family or maybe even by people that you cared about. And the Lord wants to heal you. The Lord knows what happened. He's your advocate. And he wants to bring healing to your life. Like full healing. Where the memory of those things, the power of them leaves. 
and you're able to look back on them with a different perspective. And I'm believing that this morning for some of you. Some of you have carried that along for a long time. Maybe for some of you, it's a secret that you've never told anybody. And the Lord wants to heal you today. The Lord loves you. The Lord is safe. And he wants to heal you. Next, we're going to look at the empty head. Proverbs eleven twenty two says that, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. And basically what it's saying is that beauty without wisdom or beauty that lacks judgment is wasted beauty. That it's a pretty face on an empty head. This woman doesn't think, think through things. She makes bad decisions. Just think, just think about that picture, like something beautiful in a pig's snout. <laughs> it's just like, it's an oxymoron. Thank you. Next is the seducer. Proverbs 6.25. It says, do not, this is a warning to men to stay away from this kind of woman. It says, do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. This woman uses her beauty to draw people to herself and not to God. This woman uses her beauty to draw men to herself. Some of these, wom- some of these women use their beauty to draw married men to themselves. A lot of times it is sexual. Sometimes it's just emotional. Sometimes, sometimes it's happening like under the surface of our hearts, and we're maybe not even fully aware of it. But there's some, like, need. There's some need there. There's some need for attention from men. There's some emotional need there that we're needing met. And maybe because we're not aware of it or because we're not taking it to God to have it satisfied or fulfilled, it comes out in these ways. And we subtly and slyly draw men to ourselves using our beauty. We try to captivate. Again, I feel like a lot of times this happens in less overt ways. It's not like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to captivate this man with my beauty. But it's subtle, and it's happening. There's a current of it happening in our lives. This woman uses her beauty like a trap. Lastly, we see the big head. And this is out of... uh, Ezekiel twenty eight seventeen, um, it's talking about the king of Tyre, but it's actually a, a picture of Satan falling from heaven. And what it says about him is that he he became proud because of how beautiful he was. It says your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you cor- corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth, and I made a spectacle of you before kings. This is um, someone who is puffed up. Someone who is entitled, someone who thinks they deserve more than they're getting. Someone whose identity is wrapped up in their beauty because they are so beautiful. 
So these are just some snapshot pictures of the way that beauty goes wrong, the way that we use beauty, the way, the, what happens when we go outside of God to have our longing met for beauty gets diverted in all these different directions, and beauty in our lives gets disordered. It's not set up right the way God wants it to be, and therefore all these other things start to get disordered in our lives. Like our eating gets disordered, we start... Uh, unhealthy eating, uh, your clothing gets disordered and you're unhealthy in the way that you're dressing, your mouth gets disordered and you're unhealthy in the way that you're speaking. I think a lot of these things are just the fruit of this kind of beauty not being set right in your heart before God. So we use our beauty to control and to manipulate. We starve our bodies to try to control We buy things we shouldn't. We give our hearts away when we shouldn't. We give our bodies away when we shouldn't. And we use things to comfort ourselves. There's a passage in Hebrews 12. And the title of it says, uh, The Mountain of Fear and the Mountain of Joy. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. This is referring back to Uh, Moses' days, um, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a sound speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So that is the mountain of fear, and that's not the mountain we're coming to this morning. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it, I feel like this is a word for us this morning. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, That is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably acceptably, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And this is my prayer this morning, that God will shake what can be shaken in our lives. That we would invite his shaking. That we would say, shake away everything that is not of you. Shake away everything that is built not on your foundation. Shake these things out of my life. And that we would also invite this consuming fire of God. Like we would open wide our hearts to this consuming fire. This fire of the jealous love of God. That is coming after us in pursuit. Wanting all of our hearts. And not wanting to share our hearts with lies or pain or anything else that's wanting to steal. He's after our hearts. 
And so that's what we're praying this morning, Lord. Shake the things in our lives that can be shaken, God. We open our hearts wide to you. We say yes to you. We say yes to your fire, your consuming fire, your jealous fire that's after our hearts, wanting our pure affection towards you, not wanting to share our hearts with another, not wanting to move into a house that has rooms that are filled with lies or filled with hurt and pain that has not been healed. You're wanting our whole house, God. And so we ask you to come with your jealous, loving fire and shake whatever can be shaken in our lives so that what cannot be shaken can remain. Come, Lord. Only you can do this. Only you can do this, God. And as I read that scripture in the end, our God is a consuming fire, I just had this sense that for us, for like a now word for us, that sometimes when fire comes, it, it clears out all the old dead stuff, right? So if you're thinking about a field that's maybe full of weeds that have dried up in the summertime, and then that field gets set on fire, and it wipes it out all clean, it burns everything that's there, there's also, a, I'm not, I, ha, I haven't, like, this just came to me right now, so I didn't, like, read about this, but there's a process that happens with seeds that are released, and the ground is prepared for something fresh to grow. There's a clearing that happens of all that is old and dead, and there's a soil preparation that happens in that fire for what is new to be able to grow, and I feel like that's what, that's part of what the Lord is wanting to do this morning as he's clearing away all from our hearts that is old and dead. He's preparing the soil of our hearts and our lives, this ground for something new. And so we can trust that, right? Even as we process through things that are hard or that are painful or we say, I don't want to go there. God is wanting to deal with these things once and for all. He wants us free and he wants our hearts to be that empty field that's been cleaned out and the soil is ready for something fresh and new that he has for us. The last uh, picture that we're going to look at is called the unfaithful wife. And it is out of this passage in Ezekiel 16. It is one of the gnarliest things I've ever read. It's amazing and crazy and I've just been kind of blown away by it. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's really long, so there's just parts that we're going to look at today together. Starting in verse 1, it says, On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you, I saw that you were old enough for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath 
and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Can I just make the point here again that I made last night when we read out of 1 Peter 3 that God's not against the fine clothes or the jewelry because here in this story, he's like, fancying her all up, right? He's not against it. He's against us deciding in our hearts that that is what makes us beautiful. That is what he is against. He makes us beautiful. And so here we are, and he's, dress, he's dressing her all up. Your food was honey, olive oil, and finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. So this is a story about Israel, the people of God, and God. This is a picture, it's an allegory of the people of God and God. And God's saying that this, this, this is what we're like. We're this baby aborted in a field. Our cord was not cut, and we weren't washed, we weren't clean, we weren't wrapped in swaddling clothes. No one cared enough. No one cared tenderly for us. We were thrown out into a field and despised. But God cared, and God wanted us. And when God passed by and saw this baby, he noticed. And this baby was dirty and bloody and naked and abandoned, And God spoke life over her. Life and not death. And God took her and made her grow. Like, protected her growth. I almost feel like like that struggling little budding, you know, tiny baby plant that's maybe not going to make it. And the way that you pot it and tenderly care for it with sun and water and all the right ingredients to see that it grows. I feel like that's the picture of the way God caused this baby to grow. Then she grew and developed, and God looked and saw that she was old enough for love. And so he spread the corner of his garment over her and covered her nakedness. He saw that she was ripe. (laughs) That's what I use. She was ripe. He saw that she was vulnerable. And he covered her and he protected her. And he made her a promise. He promised her his love. And he says he entered into a covenant with her. He promised her his love forever. And that covenant is like a marriage covenant. It's actually the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. It's like where we get that idea of promise and marriage. It's a picture of God, and marriage is supposed to reflect that. So this is like a marriage covenant that he enters into with her, promising her to be with her and to never leave her and to love her and tenderly care for her forever. 
And she became his. And he said, you are mine. You are mine. This is, this is the job of a parent. To see that a daughter is getting ripe. <laughs> Nearing the age for love, right? And to cover her nakedness and to protect that innocence and protect that vulnerability and to be possessive with that daughter saying you're mine and I'm protecting you I'm making sure that you're covered I'm making sure that no scrub is creeping in and taking advantage of your vulnerability right now this is my job as your mother and father I'm protecting you from the scrubs okay and this is what God does with us this is the picture of what God does with us And if that didn't happen for you, if you should have had a mother and father that that saw that you were getting ripe, maybe they just missed it, you know, like the sex conversation comes like five years late. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like too late. Maybe... Your experience with a mother and father wasn't like this. And you felt like they didn't see you when you were ripe and you were ready for love. And there were people who crept in and took advantage of that season of vulnerability and innocence and stole. And you weren't covered. Your nakedness wasn't covered and you weren't protected. And I don't care if you're 60 years old and this happened when you were young. If it's something that the Lord hasn't touched and healed in your heart, he wants to do it today. I'm believing that there's some of us that need to forgive our parents for dismissing it. For just not seeing us. For not discerning the time. And for not covering and not protecting. That there's some forgiveness that needs to happen for some people. And also you need to see your, your Heavenly Father as this. This is how He is with us. He sees and He discerns. He doesn't miss it. He's right in step. He actually knows our hearts better than we know our own. So he knows what's going on, and he fights for us. He's our defender and our protector. He covers our nakedness. Then he washes her. Oh, just, just to be washed, right? Oh, sturdy. The Lord washes me. He washes us. He clothes us in beautiful, expensive clothes and puts shoes on her feet and beautiful jewelry on her. He lavishes her with gifts. He feeds her with the best food. She's hungry. He nourishes her. And he made her beautiful and she rose to be a queen. He gave her position and prominence and he used her to display his beauty. It says that he put his splendor on her and it made her beauty perfect. He used her to display his goodness. He makes her stunning and she becomes famous. I just want, I want this to soak in because this is, this is not just a 
weird story in the Old Testament. This is a picture. This is our story. This is what God has done for us. And I, I want to just take a moment and let this sink in because there's places of unbelief that need to get dislodged by this truth. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're staring at right now. These things are true about God. And this story is true. This is your story. This is my story. This is what God has done for us. God found you in your dirt and blood, abandoned, and he tenderly cared for you. He has taken you and covered your nakedness and protected your vulnerability. He has washed you, clothed you, fed you, lavished you with good things, made you beautiful, established you, and committed himself to you. And he's promised you his love forever. It's just amazing. It's just so beautiful. So now we get back to the story. Because after all of that happened, how beautiful is that? Just so beautiful. Then something terrible happened. Back in verse 15, it says... This is the the hinge of the story. This is the twist in the plot, this line right here. It says, but you trusted in your beauty. After After all of that, after all he had done, you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by, and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. You went to him, and he possessed your beauty. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. And you took your embroidered clothes to put on them, and you offered my oil and incense before them. Also the food I provided for you, the flour, olive oil, and honey I gave you to eat, you offered as fragrant incense before them. That is what happened, declared, declares the sovereign Lord. It goes on, it gets way crazy, and later it says, you did this because you did not remember the days of your youth, and you forgot all that I did for you. At one point, uh, he, he calls her an unfaithful wife, saying that she preferred strangers over him. You guys, the Lord is after our hearts. He's not going to share us with anyone else. He's calling us to be a faithful wife, to not forget what he's done for us, to not trust in our beauty and start giving it away to other people, trying to get something from them. Not giving away the gifts that he's given us that are precious. Not spitting on the things that he's done for us because we've forgotten about it and we've moved on. He's calling us to be a faithful wife. He wants 
dove's eyes, eyes that are fixed on him, eyes that are faithful to him. And there's that um, the covenant that he made. I was just thinking about how covenant is not, covenant is a mutual promise, right? And she broke her end of that promise. God was faithful. We were unfaithful. We broke that promise. We forgot. And maybe some of us have forgotten. And maybe we've started to trust in other things besides God. And maybe we've given ourselves away to other people and other things, trying to get from them what only God can give us. And maybe we've broken promises that we've made to God. And we can make those right today. We can say, I'm sorry, Lord, for breaking my promise. Forgive me. I'm sorry for being unfaithful to you. I'm sorry for running after other loves. I'm sorry for going after the glances of a thousand and forgetting the gaze of one. The Lord is calling for love that is faithful to him. He wants to be in an exclusive relationship with us. He will not share our affections with another. His love for us is jealous. He's coming after it. It's what he's asking of us. At the end of this crazy story, it just like, it just gets so crazy. And at the very end of this story, this is how it ends. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will deal with you as you deserve. Because you have despised my oath by breaking the covenant. And I, I just feel like that's, that's just consequence. Like there's just consequence for sin in our lives. And you guys, you don't need me to say that out loud for you to know that. There's consequence when we run after these other things. There's pain that ensues. Sin breeds death in our lives. And we all experience that. But then he says, yet I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth. I'll remember the first promise that I made to you. And I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. A new covenant. I'll remember the one that I made at the beginning. And I'll be faithful to that one. And I'll enter into a new one with you again. And that new covenant is Jesus. It's, it's the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the old covenant of Abel. It is a covenant that we get to enter into again with God. God saying, even with all your unfaithfulness to me, I'm not forgetting the first promise I made to you. And I'm going to establish another covenant with you, a new one, and one that will last forever. No matter what we've done, his blood is enough to cover us, to forgive us, to wash us clean, to cleanse us, and to restore us. When this is all said and done, Jesus Christ is going to present us, the church, not just women, the church, right? He's going to present us to God as a spotless bride, a pure and spotless bride without wrinkle or blemish. Jesus Christ is going to make us beautiful. He's going to make us perfect He's going to make us flawless with his blood. And he's going to present us 
before God as his pure and spotless bride. This is our identity in Christ. This is what he's bought for us. This is who we are. This is what he's calling us to. It's amazing. It's so overwhelming. <laughs> we get to be the bride of Jesus. It's just like, what? I don't care who you are. If you've grown up in a Christian home or if you grew up on the streets, this is our story. This is our story. It doesn't matter the circumstances of life or the places you found yourself. We can all, we can all find ourselves inside of this story. This is our story. This is what is true. We all are this woman. We all are this baby that God found and cleaned up. And then we all were unfaithful to him after all he had done for us. And he took us in again. And he married us again. It's like that, <laughs> the story of Hosea just... He marries us again, and he goes again with us, and he washes us again, and he cleans us again, and he remembers his promises because he's faithful, and he can't not be faithful. It's who he is. And this is how the story ends. We get to be presented to God perfect and flawless because of Jesus. Not only is that our future, not only is that the vision that we're living into that we will get to experience one day, but it is what we're living into now. It's our identity now. And because Jesus has already died and accomplished this for us, there is a now and not yet element that we live in. But I just want to say, like, this is for now. This is for today. This isn't like I'm going to stay dirty and bloody in this field for the rest of my life until that day comes. There are promises that Jesus has given us today that we get to live into. And the one that we're going to look at is Isaiah 61. This has been like weaving through from the beginning of prayer times and worship. This is a word from the Lord for us. This, these are the words of Jesus. Um, one of the gospels says this is, this is Jesus' like first act of ministry when he came on the scene. He was in the temple he took the reading of the day and unrolled the scroll and started reading it out loud. And this is what it said. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, the day that God will make everything right, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, for the display of his beauty. He has bestowed upon us, put on us, a crown of beauty instead of our ashes. And so this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to trade in our ashes for a crown of beauty. 
We all have ashes. And we're going to make an exchange this morning with God. All of these stories that we touched on and these people that we touched on, it's just ashes, right? There's just all different kinds of ashes in our lives. Things have burned up. Ashes of lies. Ashes of going past God's boundaries. Ashes of manipulation. Ashes of control. Ashes of abortion. Ashes of abandonment. Ashes of abuse. Ashes of eating disorders. Ashes of addiction. Ashes of guilt. Ashes of shame. Ashes of unfaithfulness to God. Ashes of broken promise. Ashes of sexual sin. Ashes of trusting in our beauty instead of trusting in God. And we get to bring these things before God and trade them in for a crown of beauty. This is what Jesus has promised us. This is something that we get to do today. We don't have to wait until eternity. There's freedom. When he finished reading this in the temple, he rolled the scroll back up and he said, Today in your midst, this has been fulfilled. I am the one that this was speaking about. This is what I have come to accomplish. This is what I have done. And God has has an open invitation to us to take hold of these promises, to get off of the ash heap of our lives. And there's some of you that have been sitting on your ash heap for way too long. And it's time to stand up and get off. And it's time to trade it in, to release it to God, not partially but fully. Not like I'm going to give you a little bit but hold a little bit back so that in five years I'm back here again looking at these same ashes. I feel like for some of you this is a breakthrough moment where God is ready to do a full exchange. Give me your entire ash heap, every speck of ash, and I will give you a crown of beauty. Um, Could worship team and ministry team come? This promise in Isaiah 61 is so incredible. Not just that we get to trade in our ashes for a crown of beauty, but that the captive, that those who are caught, that those who are arrested get to go free. That those who are stuck in a dark place, like the word that Kate gave about the cave, that those who are stuck in the dark, hesitating, get to step out into the light today. That those with secrets that have never been spoken out loud, get to finally get it off their chest and step out of the darkness and into the light today. That the Lord is going to comfort those who are sad, like really sad, like deeply sad. That the Lord is going to supernaturally comfort you in a way that brings about change. That we get to trade in our mourning for some real joy. Real joy. Not like a pasted-on smile. For some of you, you've been mourning. There's been losses. There's been real things. And I feel like today is a day that, for some of you, that season is done. And the Lord is asking you to trade in your mourning for the oil of joy. Provision is going to come to those who are grieving. Those who are despairing get to take off those clothes of despair and put on clothes of praise, clothes of thankfulness. That today is the day that you could take off those heavy robes of despair and put on 
a new robe. That praise, like as I just see you just shedding that despair and praise just starting to flow out of your mouths. Thankfulness to God released from your spirits when you take off that garment of despair. He's going to plant us. He's going to establish us. He's making us those oaks of righteousness with roots going deep down. He's establishing us. So that when the winds come and the things of life blow, we stand firm, established in God with deep roots. He's making us those trees. And he's going to put his beauty on us. And he's going to cause us to be a display of his glory and his splendor in this world. So we get to repent this morning. Repentance is one of the sweetest gifts God has given us. And it's not something that you do when you realize for the first time that you're a desperate sinner in need of God. It's something that as Christian women we do every day. We get to come again to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, Father, I've sinned. Forgive me. And we get to get specific. I've sinned in these ways. These are the things that I've done. This is what I've believed. And when we do that, that is when... His forgiveness floods in, and we get washed and cleansed from all our unrighteousness. And so I'm inviting you to get aggressive, to get bold, to come boldly before the throne of grace, to confess before your Father who loves you the sin that you've been entangled in, and to allow Him to wash you clean, to bring your pile of ashes before Him and let it go and receive the crown of beauty that He's wanting to place on your head. And it's something that you wear, not temporarily. It's something that you walk out of this place with and wear forever. It's who He's calling you to be a carrier of his splendor and his beauty. And so I'm inviting you, just let's have everybody stand. We're going to believe God. We're going to be brave. And we're going to come. So you just come. Like I said yesterday, this is a safe place. These are women that I trust. You don't have to be afraid. God is safe. This is a safe place. You can get real with the Lord. I just have a sense that um, maybe this is for s- some specific people in the room, some specific, specific person, but um, I know it was a long list that Tiff, Tiff um, listed, and maybe there's somebody in this room that, that say, like, Where, I don't fit quite in that place, but I, like, want to respond to God. Do you feel like that yearning? But maybe it's not landing in a really specific spot. Um, and I just had a picture. Uh, I, want, I want you to try to picture with this with me in your mind's eye. Um, it was a woman, she was praising Jesus. She was standing with her arms reached up, and um, encompassing her was the silhouette of a heart. But she was standing, she wasn't at the bottom of the heart. There was like a, a line across, like some, somewhat near the bottom. Um, but she was standing on that, and her, her arms were lifted high. And um, I just sense the Lord saying, like, I'm asking, I'm asking for you to, like, give me what's under your feet. I see that you've been giving me what's, in, what's above you, but I want what's under your feet. <laughs> I want that place that you've been standing on your own strength, on your own ability, on your own gifting, 
whatever that is, I just, I just see it's like a trap door. It's like opening, and he's, and in that, that woman is, is going from a place of posture of praise, and this is a posture of praise, but there's an invitation to a deeper one where that floor opens up, and you're down, and you're on your knees, and you're in that little place where you're closed in by Jesus. The walls are touching you. They're pushing in, and when that happens, the place where you've been standing, even, even in wanting to, to, to honor God, the place you've been standing, you've been filling a space that's not your place to, to fill. It's not your place to fill. So even, even in this worshiping God and saying, I want more, Jesus. I want to give you more of my life. He's, he's asking that you, you would give him what's under your feet, your security, what you can do, what he's gifted you to do. He wants that. He wants that that you'd fall down on your knees and in that small space, like just, I just see like you're in the smallest space of that heart and he's pushing and those boundaries are good. His boundaries are good. And when we get small, he gets really big and all the space above us opens up and we see things that we did not see before. So just ask, he's asking you, I don't know who's that, who that's landing for, but Everything that's been said this morning, there, there's a, a call to respond. Wherever you fall in that story, he's here, and he wants to come really close, and he's asking us to get small because he's really big and he's really good, and there's things that we cannot see because we're in the way. Come, Jesus. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea and all the Beautiful things here in life And I